1 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to go from verses 17 to 21 here today. And the way that I'd like to start um, with this, this message today is, is to tell you a little bit of a story. On June 27th, 2017, the largest cyber attack in history occurred. You may have heard of it, you may not have, but it was big. It was a big cyber attack. A piece of Russian malware called NotPetya was unleashed on international businesses across the globe. And in just a few minutes, it would ultimately do damage on computers and computer networks and systems all around the world. And, and it would ultimately cost various institutions approximately $10 billion. This was a serious, a serious problem. And this, this little bit of computer code was a digital demon that is called ransomware. So if you've ever heard of that, if you've ever had anything on your computer to help protect your computer from viruses, well, ransomware is one of the things that it tries to, to protect from. And, and ransomware is actually becoming more common. It's estimated that the global cost of ransomware recovery for the year 2021, the year that we're in, will be over $20 billion. It's a big problem. And what ransomware does is it encrypts files on a device, and then those behind the attack demand a ransom, usually Bitcoin or some other sort of a cyber currency, cryptocurrency, in exchange to decrypt what they just encrypted, if that makes any sense. So the files, or the access to those files, are held in ransom. That's why they call it ransomware. And so really what it comes down to is you're forced to buy back what was already yours in the first place, all right? Now, this is a modern illustration of what a ransom is. If you're wondering what all that wind is, it's just the wind blowing in this microphone. Sorry, guys. Can't fix that for you. It's part of the outdoor um, experience. Exactly. So a ransom... Understanding what a ransom is is important for the text that we're going to look at here today. And it's not a word that necessarily makes a lot of sense to us, I think, when we first see it. Um, so I wanted to describe that a little bit to you. Last week, we learned that we're going to be confronted to change our conduct, the way we live in this letter of 1 Peter. And Peter encouraged us to prepare ourselves for action and obedience I don't know if you guys were part of life group this week, but that's one of the things that we talked about a lot, about the obedience uh, piece involved. And, and we were called to leave behind our former passions and, and embrace holiness. But today he's going to teach us even how this is possible. All right, so let's read it together. 1 Peter chapter 1. And, and actually, we're going to back up to a couple of the verses from last week to set us up. So start in verse 14. And here's what we read last week. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now, verse 17, here's our, our new verses for today. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed 
from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold or Bitcoin, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Now we've got to learn today that our reality has been changed because of the work of Jesus. If you're following along, filling in the blanks on your little note thing here, that's the first thing. Our reality has been changed because of the work of Jesus Christ. So the way that we interact with the world, the way that we see the universe is different because of what Jesus has done. Without Jesus, the fate of humanity is on a collision course with certain judgment and death. That's, that's the way it is. And why is that? Well, he tells us here. When he begins talking about the fact that God is a judge, and he is the judge. He judges impartially, it says here. He's a righteous judge. His judgments are perfect. And remember that that's the case. And he tells even Christians, believers, hey, remember, God is a judge and God is going to judge. He's righteous and he's impartial. That means he doesn't play favorites. He's going to judge and he's going to judge righteously. And without exception, he judges with absolute precision. He's not like an earthly judge who can only, you know, depending on what happens and the evidence provided to that judge, they try to make the best decision they can most of the time, as long as they're a good, honest judge. But with God, it doesn't work that way. Because with God, there is no inconclusive evidence. There's no uh, small amounts of information that are withheld from him. He knows all. He sees all. He, he's, he's always going to be able to judge perfectly all the way through. And being holy, the holy God that he is, there's no space in his presence for anything that isn't holy. That's the way it, it works. He, he is righteous. And all that is sinful and unrighteous or dark can't have a relationship with him. But we as human beings know that we've inherited a sin nature. All of us. That's part of our shared humanity. Romans 3.23, very well-known verse of the Bible, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. Every human. That's who we are. But God, God's holy and he's a judge. And because we know that we have a drive towards sin, a pull towards sin in our lives, Peter here tells us to, to conduct ourselves with fear through the time of our exile. He says, you realize you're sinners, you understand that, and the way that you live your life, you should have a bit of fear. Now, fear can mean reverence and respect. And a lot of times in the Bible, when you talk about fearing God, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's having respect for God. But it also can mean a terror, a fear. But why, why fear? Why would he say that? Is fear always a bad thing? Think about it. Is fear always a bad thing? Can it ever be a good thing? Not too long ago, um, I guess, I, maybe it was last summer, I think, 
I was, uh, I was surfing at a spot that I've surfed a long time, about 25 years in this one particular area over in Point Loma. And it was a beautiful day. And for me, surfing was a beautiful day. It was sunny. It was clear. I walked down to a spot that didn't have anybody out. So it's just me sitting out there floating the Pacific. It was a beautiful day. There was no wind, all glassy and golden. And I'm sitting out there and just enjoying myself. And for me, that's just a time to let my mind relax and be with God and nature. And I'm having just this beautiful time. And I'm sitting out there. And all of a sudden, not very far from here, probably about where this light post is right here away from me, maybe 20 yards or something. I'm sitting there and I see this little fin pop up out of the water. Now, this wasn't one of those experiences, if you've ever been out in the ocean before, and especially if you're not comfortable in the ocean, you might see all kinds of things, right? Oh, I saw something over there, over here. You know, you're trying to figure things out. It wasn't one of those situations. It was one of those things where I'm sitting there, everything's glassy and smooth, and I just see this thing pop up and sit here. I could double take, I could triple take, I could quadruple take, it's still sitting there. And all of a sudden, I see this fin just turn right where I'm looking down the fin now, after seeing the triangle before, looking straight at me, I see a little splash in the water somewhere behind and this thing just starts easing toward me. And then it just goes under. Now here's the crazy thing. At the beginning, I didn't have any fear. That's a problem. That's being too comfortable. <laughs> but then a second later, I'm like, wait a minute. I have a wonderful wife and three daughters I need to go home to. And although I don't think this guy is going to do anything right now, if I was to end up meeting them in heaven a little bit early, I'm going to have some explaining to do when they say, what was the deal? Like, why did you sit out there if you knew this thing was there? <laughs> That's when the fear kind of kicked in. And I'm like, I need to get out of the water right now. So I turned and, and got out, obviously. I'm here today to tell you this. But was my fear actually a good thing right there? Yes, I think it was. It was a good fear because it was a fear that motivated me to do something. It was a fear that made me paddle for the very next wave to get out of there, to flee from danger. Sometimes fear helps change our behaviors. This is Fortunately, unfortunately, the way that a lot of times we have to discipline our kids, right? It's the fear of what happens if you don't obey. Now, hopefully, the reason we're giving that fear is it's a good godly fear to instill in them the right things to do, to avoid the wrong things. And when Peter here says, look, conduct your time on earth with fear, we need to have a godly fear. We understand that God is a God of mercy and a God of love, but we also have to remember that God is a God of justice and a God of holiness and righteousness. And so he says, have that fear in your mind in the way that you live your life. That's how it's got to be. That's what we're called to. And here's your second fill in the blank. Healthy fear can keep us on the right path. A healthy fear can keep us on the right path. Even as Christians who have their sins covered by the blood of Jesus. What we do with our lives matters. How we conduct ourselves matters. Our decisions matter. I don't know if you remember this, but um, not that long ago, before Peter, we went through the book of Ecclesiastes. 
and the very last two verses of the book of Ecclesiastes say this. In Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13 to 14, he says, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Everything that you say, everything that you do, even when you're alone, even when it's only in your head, all those things are going to be dealt with by God. In 1 Corinthians 3, 12 to 15, here's what he says. He says, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day, judgment day, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. What we do matters, and what we do is going to be revealed. Now, even though God is holy and God is our judge, we also know that God is loving and God is generous. And that's where he goes on here in verses 18 and 19. And he's going to talk about what we've been ransomed from. God is our redeemer. God is our redeemer. He paid the ransom for our lives. And what, was, what were we ransomed in? What was that whole arrangement going on? Well, sin held us hostage. That's the way it is. That's part of our sin nature. Sin held us hostage. But Jesus came to free us from the judgment of our sins. So we have been ransomed by Jesus. Mark 10, 45, Jesus told us himself this is what he was going to do. Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man, Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, it says it this way, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. That was the reason Jesus came to this earth, to be able to provide himself as the ransom for us. Relationship between human beings and God was broken. And, and Jesus came to fix that. And that was his purpose all along, to free us from sin. 1 John 3, 8 to 10 says, the reason the Son of God appeared, the reason was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, and, and that you keep on sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this, it's evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So who received the ransom? Because this is important. I want you to understand this about the ransom thing. Um, because sometimes that gets a little bit confused. Was it the devil that got the ransom? Was, it, was he the one, the bad guy in the cyber attack? Well, actually, no. He wasn't. All right? Jesus 
is the, me the mediator between us and God, not between the father and the devil. Because what happens is we sometimes give the devil too much credit. We make it seem that he's somehow like the equal opposite of God the Father. Like we've got God the Father with all his power and the devil with all his power and they're in this cosmic battle. It's not the way it works, guys. There's God and there's everything else. And the devil does not have that equal power of God. And so what happened was Jesus didn't come and have to negotiate with Satan to say, oh, can we please have those people back and I'll die, you know, on a cross and you can beat me up and then we'll get the people back from you. Please, please, please. That's not how it worked. No, the, the ransom was dealing with the brokenness between the holy God and sinful humanity. So he served in that gap between us. He repaired the breach. He didn't satisfy Satan. He defeated him and satisfied the righteous wrath of God. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, Jesus, himself likewise took, partook of the same things. He became flesh. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who, fear, who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. We are slaves to sin without the power of Jesus breaking us free. That's how human beings are. But as Christians, we've been ransomed. And that's what being ransomed is. It's being set free. And that's the truth that changes our reality. Because what I told you at the beginning is our reality has changed. And it's changed because we are no longer under that power of sin. And that's where he goes on in verses 20 and 21. Um, let's read it again. It says, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. Becoming a Christian changes our reality because our faith and our hope are now in God. Our faith and our hope are now in God. It doesn't give us the freedom to, to sin and disobey. It gives us the freedom from sin and disobedience. Sometimes people, you know, view Christians as like we're these, we walk around with this arrogance thinking we're like the spoiled, uh, spoiled kids of the monarch, right? Well, God's the king and I'm one of his kids so I can do what I want and I can, you know, break all the rules and it doesn't matter because I'm the kid of the king. All right, well, uh, that is true. We are the children of God the Father when we come to him, but our actions matter and our obedience is necessary. We know him better than anybody else does, but because we know him so well, we realize he's holy and we realize that he calls us to uh, something higher, and we aim to obey even more. We know his holy perfection and we know that judgment is real. And we know that the great, the great cost that Jesus suffered to provide that for us, it wasn't a cheap purchase. He says there was silver or gold. It wasn't, that's what, not what we were bought with. We were instead bought with the precious, perfect, eternal blood of God who gave himself for us because of love. So Peter reminds us here that we didn't just dodge the system. We didn't just find a loophole with Jesus. The father didn't get bribed like a corrupt judge. It wasn't anything like that. 
but we will be able to walk out of the, the cosmic courtroom with our heads held high with integrity and honor and, and righteousness only because Jesus' blood gives us that ability. So why was it important that Jesus would die for us? Why did he have to do that? Why did a ransom have to take place? Well, what we learn in the Bible is that the wages of sin is death without exception. And God being that perfect judge that sees it all and knows it all, death is the sentence for that sin. That's how it, how it is. And those in sin are held in ransom and the price of sin had to be paid. Now, we don't know all the reasons why. Now, why did that get set up that way? Why is that that? Uh, we don't know. But it was so important to him. It was so important to him that he himself would come and pay that price. And it's important for us to remember that value that God has put on us. Each one of you is valuable to God so much that he would die for you. It's for our sake, as he says there in verse 20. The world wandered in spiritual pursuits before Jesus came and brought clarity to God's plan for us. And apart from Jesus, people still wander. That's what the world we live in right now. It's been interesting actually reading articles on where people are at, where their headspace is right now in the world. Thinking about where they're looking for spiritual fulfillment or spiritual things, where they're looking for purpose and meaning in life. People, a lot of people are in a real dark spot right now trying to sort things out. All this pandemic has rattled uh, people at, at a, in a lot of different levels. But our faith and our hope are to be tied to his glory. Specifically, he says here in 1 Peter to his resurrection. He was raised in glory and therefore we believe that we can be. He is the way and the truth and the life. His glory's never been diminished, but it was veiled before he came in the flesh and it won't be totally revealed until his return. But the glory of God is going to be revealed to the rest of the world. Matthew 24, 29 to 31 says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the son of man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Guys, one day the glory of Jesus is gonna be revealed to the whole earth all at once. And when that happens, in an instant, every other competing idea every other faith concept, all that is going to cease. As it says in Romans 14, 10 to 12, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now, for those of us who have been ransomed, that's not a terrifying event. It doesn't freak us out. We don't have to worry about that because our faith and our hope has been recentered. 
our faith and our hope is no longer just in ourselves or in our self-realization or self-care or self-actualization. We're not putting all of our eggs in the basket that says, well, if, you know, good thoughts, good vibes, that'll get me through. That's not what it is. Our faith and our hope are not in those things. They're not in other people. They're not in stuff. They're in God. That's where our faith and our hope is. In Jesus alone. So how do we finish here today? Well, I got two questions I want to just ask you to ask yourself. First off, what is your reality today? What is your reality today? Is your faith and hope in God? Um, you know, like I said, COVID has really rattled people. It's rattled all of us. In fact, very few people on the whole planet have not been affected by this to some degree. We've, we've been affected. But for a lot of us, it's actually revealed both good things and bad things about our lives. And I think some of what that is, is it's shown us what we really rely on or who we really rely on. Where do we find our joy? Where do we find our peace? How do we keep ourselves occupied? And it's also shown us where some of those foundations are weak. It's been a healthy dose of reality in many ways. Now, one of the, the great benefits of something like this is what it takes away from us because then we have the opportunity to make decisions on how we're going to rebuild our lives. I know this thing has felt like it has dragged on and on and on and on. I mean, it's, you especially see it when you actually see some of the kids of our church now. <laughs> and you're like, wow, last time I saw that one, they were about this tall. And now they're about this tall. Whoa. I know, but we're getting toward the end. There's hope. <laughs> I know it doesn't completely feel that way, but we're, we're moving that way. And if your faith and hope have been rattled, in this past year, maybe it's time for you to reconsider what your faith and hope have been put in. Because maybe this rebuilding time and this relaunch of life is going to be an opportunity for you to start out on the right path. Start out on the right foot. Because here's the thing. If you felt like, oh, your faith and your hope have really been rattled, well, guess what? God hasn't moved. God hasn't been knocked off guard from this. God's not up in heaven wearing a mask. He's got it. He's got it figured out. He's got it under control. He's not been shaken by this pandemic. And maybe it's time to strengthen those things in your life that aren't holding the load like they should. The load-bearing walls, for those of you who know how to build things. The structural beams that hold your life up. So, Ask yourself, well, what is my reality today? And where is my faith and my hope? And then secondly, my question is, well, have you been ransomed by Jesus? And do you know that? And do you understand that? And are you conducting your life with that in mind? If so, you've got a reason for that faith and that hope. Because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and gave him glory is gonna raise you and give you life. So listen, as I finish, don't be discouraged if you've been shaken through this time. I think all of us have been rattled to some degree in this. And we're going to rebuild together. And I'm actually excited about 
some of the potential for our church to come out of this stronger and healthier than it was even before. And if we build it on this foundation that's being described here, knowing our ransomed reality and living like those people that have been set free, I think we're going to be established for a long time to come in many ways. So be encouraged, be strengthened, trust in the Lord, and it's all going to work out. All right, let's pray. God, we do thank you for this day. And again, Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that that today you would encourage us with this word, that our reality is, if we're believers here today, that we've been ransomed, that we've been set free. And Lord, I pray that if today there are any who are hearing my voice that do not know you, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would come to you. That today would be the day that they would take part in receiving that blessing of having their sins forgiven and being made right between them and their maker. And Lord, I pray that as a church, you would do the things that you want to do with us and through us. And I believe a big part of that is us recognizing and realizing who it is that we are in you. Because that enables us and empowers us to step into places and to do things that we cannot do without you. And I pray, Lord, that for the, the future, as we look forward, Lord, I pray that first that you would lead us out of this period of a pandemic that we've been in. I pray, God, that you would take us to a spot where um, we begin to see what it is that you have going forward and that we would take full advantage of those opportunities that you give us. May we be people that are full of faith and hope, that are placed in the right places, doing the right things. And I pray, God, that you would be near to us through this time. Encourage everybody who's heard your word. Allow us to worship you now and be strengthened. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.